This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 225, where we're talking about Jessica Jones season 3, episode 3, aka I Have No Spleen. Welcome back fellow Defenders, this is Defenders TV Podcast and we're on episode 225 where we're talking about everything Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 3, aka I Have No Spleen. But beside my medical history, I am one of your Defender hosts, Chris. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, it is the person who has no left kidney, John. (laughs) But I do, I have my left kidney and my right one. I think I might have lost the liver, but I haven't got it replaced yet. (laughs) <laughs> that's just an Irish thing uh, yes. no Irish man has a, a liver anymore <laughs> I, I've lost a kidney but gained a nipple <laughs> three nipples John well you know that could have caused a major problem over on Good Omens our <laughs> podcast today, so <laughs> about the witches John so John is a witch I am but fellow defenders <laughs> we are here to explain this episode of Jessica Jones well dear there's going to be a lot of medical spleen jokes in this one <laughs> but if you're joining us for the first time make sure you pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and leave us a voicemail and don't forget to subscribe on any junk or sober podcast player because you know what we want to hear from you and we want to make sure you hear from us you can also send us your emails at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com but i guys i just want to get into this episode straight mm-hmm. away i'm kind of rushing here because this was a good one for me and i want to talk all about it so jumping straight in Derek, do you want to give us some of the episode details for this one? Sure. Yep, this episode was written by Lisa Randolph. This is her first time writing an episode of a Marvel TV show, but she has written seven episodes of the American remake of Being Human with Sam Witwer, which is really, really good. Check that out. Yeah, excellent stuff. And she also wrote two episodes in the second half of the first season of the absolutely excellent Star Trek Discovery. Definitely check that out. It's available worldwide, except in America, on Netflix. So check out Star Trek Discovery. I don't know why I was so specific about about two episodes in the second half of season one. Because I absolutely loved every episode of Star Trek Discovery. But if you didn't, if you thought it took a little bit of time to build up, she was she was there in the second half of the first season. So uh, definitely check her stuff out. Yeah, Discovery is awesome mm-hmm. for, from my side anyway. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out Discovery. Uh, it's really good to have uh, Lisa uh, on board doing the, the writing here. Certainly mm-hmm. the caliber of Star Trek Discovery. But even being human, yeah, you know, it's normally pretty difficult to take uh, a British series and remake it in an American context. You mm-hmm. know, there's been an awful lot of failures in that regard, uh, in the same way as doing it the other way around as yeah. well. Yep. So, um and I, you know, the American remake of Being Human was actually really pretty good. Um, it right, certainly yeah. captured uh, the the original there. So, yeah, good stuff. Absolutely, yes. Great job on that. And the episode itself was directed by Anton Cropper, his first time on a Marvel show as well. But he has done loads of TV, including 11 episodes of Blackish and 16 episodes of Suits. That's a show that people keep telling me to watch. They say it's up there at a very, very high level of American TV. Um, Anton was also assistant director on Six Feet Under for at least an entire season, John. One of your favorite shows. <sighs> Great stuff. Hopefully it was some of the earlier ones, uh, which were really, really good. Still considered the greatest finale of all time, above Game of Thrones, above all of the other TV shows. I love Six Feet Under. Such a great, great show. Classic show. Another one for you to watch, Chris, I think. Yeah, no, that's one for me. And I keep hearing that my ball and chain loves blackish and suits and always tries to get me to watch them, but I'm just like... 
Oh, there's too much good TV yeah. out there. And unfortunately, we're here with Jessica Jones, which is so good. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. married less than a month and already she's reduced to the ball and chain. Yeah. Christopher. Dreadful, <laughs> dreadful. Terrible she, she was the ball and chain well before the marriage. <laughs> I think you might have been the ball and chain well before the marriage, Chris. <laughs> True, I, I, I'm, I, I'm the reacher, she's the settler. I'm not too sure. Yeah, well, I, I, I think in our relationship, I, I am the pit and the moisturizer in a basket. <laughs> It puts the moisturizer in the the Nice, Chris. Nice. Let's just move back on to our episode of Jessica Jones. Just a quick shout out to our wonderful fellow defender, Dr. Bob Phillips. Just wanted to point this out. Just after watching the knife action in episode one, he commented on one of our one of our spoiler posts on Facebook saying, I was just thinking that amount of blood in that stabbing on the left side. That's a pretty deliberate attempt to get Jessica to bleed out with a massive splenic laceration. A big operation and need for vaccines coming soon for JJ. Heroes need to take their penicillin too, you know. Well done, Dr. Bob Phillips. As we mentioned, this episode is called, a.k.a. I Have No Spleen. And he saw just from how the shot was picked up and how that stab went to Jessica Jones that that's what they were aiming for in the show. Or at least that's what the uh, surprise attack on Jessica was aiming for anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think just to channel the, the doctoral profession here or the medical profession, that's a great explanation um, Dr. Bob Phillips. Oh, um, dear sure. John. Sorry, Dr. Bob. Uh, congratulations on that many years that delivers you your medical degree. John, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I am, because I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> True. But you do have a doctorate. So I suppose of the three of us, you're the most qualified, Dr. John. Not for spleens. I can do a good glacial analysis. True. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of glacial analysis, because you've just slowed this podcast to uh, icy finish, Mm -hmm. do you want to give us your heartfelt warming synopsis of this episode? Sure. Jessica Jones has a name, the full name, but has difficulty adjusting to her vulnerable new reality, sans spleen, following the knife attack by her unknown assailant. Despite the fact that her body has spleen better days, she still pushes herself to follow the trail of the Cataldo statue to get to Andrew Brandt. But Trish is also hot on his heels. As they both pursue Brandt, their paths cross and their relationship fares no better as they continue to butt heads. Meanwhile, Jerry Hogarth is also in pursuit of a different sort of prey, as she is determined to be with Kith, her former lover, But despite the best efforts of Malcolm to dig up dirt on her husband, Peter, Jerry, following a cello experience she'll never forget, needs him to dig deeper as Kith and Peter enjoy an open relationship. Despite the best efforts of her body, Jessica catches up with Brandt and finds out that he did not order the attack on her. With little interest in Brandt, Jessica extends an olive branch and hands him over to Trish so she can claim the win. Back at her apartment... Flashes of the attack continue to plague her when there is a knock at the door. As she invites Eric back into the apartment, she forces herself on him to ask, Who is trying to kill you? Excellent synopsis. A great cliffhanger for the end of this episode as well. Some really good stuff going on in this one. Yeah, uh, this one is kind of bringing back the the vibes of Jessica Jones season one Mm -hmm. for me, and I'm loving every moment of it. Um, But let's jump straight into it. Um, we have our top five case notes, and let's jump into case note number one, which is against doctor's advice. Well, you didn't really think that Jessica was going to be the greatest of patients, right? We have seen her in hospitals before. She does not take them. I love her explanation over and over again that this is just not what heroes do. They don't sit in hospitals and get better. 
you can't allow that. I don't care what the doctor says. I'm going to get up out of this bed and get out of this door, you know, and really like this moment. She must be the worst possible patient. I was wondering, guys, and I don't know how much experience you guys have had of American medical care, but I was wondering if this is a particularly American thing or can you do this in Ireland or the UK where a doctor says you, you are completely off your feet, you're a risk, you can't leave the hospital. It seems to happen in every show that they can sign themselves out. Is that because of have to pay for medical care can you do that marilyn you can do it pretty much really? anywhere you can go against professional yeah. advice and literally they just get you to sign a waiver to say you cannot see the hospital or the doctor yeah. because they gave you advice and you're not taking yeah. it so yeah it can be done yeah. it's stupid uh-huh. but it can be done well, especially if you're in the level of like jessica where you know she falls over twice like just standing out of the bed she falls over in this in this episode you know and he's just trying to explain to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think she was just uh, falling over because she was laughing her spleen out uh, from the the pun riddled doctor. Um, I which... love this doctor. I love him. I love the extra pause after every time he makes a pun. He has a little extra pause, which you almost can tell he's written into his head has pause for laughter. <laughs> really good. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the great thing here as well is you know you have this pun riddled doctor you know that's what i'm trying to explain to you um he does say your body has spleen better days as well so i did take that from him uh, for the synopsis Mm -hmm. but you know behind this is the fact that jessica is unaccustomed to this new reality that this organ really did protect her and she is vulnerable you know she she collapses twice uh, in this episode and she is that kid as she says back in pe getting d's rather than the next day chucking minivans across the uh across the street and she she's come back to being vulnerable again well Um, and i i like how this plays out across this episode where she's having to deal with this new reality mm-hmm. um, as much as she can. I also like the fact that, you know, she is taking on a liter of bourbon and, you know, where is that on the reckless scale um, <laughs> in terms of the reckless behavior? I do like the idea that the reckless scale would be in terms of liters of bourbon. Mm-hmm. How many liters of bourbon do you call it reckless? <laughs> like you say in your reality, but she's not willing to accept it. This may be something that she's being told she should accept in the same way that people keep constantly saying throughout this episode. I think both the doctor and Trish say to her she's the victim and, uh, and actually the uh, detective all three of them say she's a victim and she's not going to accept that like she's not going to accept that she has any medical problems at all here. She even calls out the fact that a spleen can actually be replaced by other organs in your body. It is the useless organ, as she says. So um, she's not willing to accept that there's anything wrong with her at all, even when she falls over twice and gets put back in hospital twice. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so for me, this that this is two things, really. For the first is, how do you reset Jessica Jones mm-hmm. after... You- after Defenders, after season two, where everything is superpowers, mm-hmm. like, and you try and distill Jessica back to what is Alias? What was the comic books about? They they had this superhero element, same as season one, but it was still a, a detective show, and that's what they're doing by by making Jessica very vulnerable, making her like spleenless, and like giving her this like she is in a weakened state. It pulls you back into this, okay, she's not just going to jump over cars and lift buildings and kick uh, her way through everything. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, we see her jump once 
And she has to pop a load of pain meds to do it. It almost looked as if she was taking a, a pill to allow her to jump, wasn't it? <laughs> like, uh, you know, every good superhero knows the pleasure of a, of a pill. You know, she takes the pill and then jumps. So it's quite, a, quite an interesting <laughs> moment there as well. Um, we also have this, this point kind of is the comedy point, even though it's the most serious point because it's caused so much pain for Jessica. But it does also lead to a wonderful interaction once again with Gillian back in her office. Um, where Gillian has changed the locks in the office because the detective Costa has told her she needs more security and Jessica goes I don't need more security and Gillian's kind of saying to her well I'm the one that's in the office all the time and I can't <laughs> I need the security I'm not going to take a knife for the money you pay me <laughs> yeah I, I, absolutely and I do like the fact that Eric also points out what is the point in a deadlock when you have a glass door mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it kind of negates the need for the deadlock yeah. um, but Gillian here is absolutely hilarious um i love the fact that you know the cute kid Vito. well he didn't inherit his father's talent um, <laughs> as he's left a, a replacement spleen on on the desk that is molded out of papier mache but Gillian also calls him the little troll brought this day <laughs> <laughs> she's she is hilarious and again another great foil for jessica in this season absolutely and i love that you know she's quite honest in that i think anyone would need at least two martinis before uh, talking about acrylic on muslin um <laughs> at, a, at an art gallery to be honest a little hip flask i love that she's just she goes you should be taking them with water she just gets the water and tips a small bit mm-hmm. into the bourbon that's hilarious and it's like yeah it's the most jessica thing yeah I'm watering down my bourbon just slightly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but then I, what I really like about this too, to to move things on. One thing I do want to say is they're bringing back that really strong PTSD vibe mm. um, that we had in season one. Obviously, she had that with Kilgrave, and now it's this vulnerability that's like she's as you were talking about. She's not the victim. She keeps saying it, but she keeps reliving all of these bits Mm. of the stabbing. And I'm like, this is going to play out so well. Obviously, badly for Jessica, but so well for the story. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, you're right though, Chris, and I I think they used the technique really well in this show because it caught me by surprise that she is reliving it, but not in a PTSD way. She's investigating it in her own mind. And that's how she comes to the conclusion at the end, which is a great thing. You're right. All the way through season one, it was all about her reliving these horrible moments with Kilgrave. And I think they played on that. I think the showrunner and the the director of this episode played on the fact that we were coming into this thinking that this is Jessica reliving a horrible moment in her life. It's not really. It's actually her going through it and seeing if she can pick up little clues from it. How cool is that? And we get that moment as well in the investigation kind of being set up and propelling itself a bit further because we see Malcolm does actually come over to visit Jessica, even though it's not in, a, in a, a very friendly way, he knows how Jessica conducts herself and he knows that she wants to get her hands on this knife and do the investigation. But Malcolm has kind of done that investigation for her already, right? Yeah, I, it was great. So he basically hands her the useless clue that is the knife mm-hmm. and he basically tells her, oh, no, look, I've done the it's a standard knife comes from a standard set, not going to be trackable and there's no prints or anything. I did it all. And she then goes the, Oh, so nice. You will like, you shouldn't bother. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I didn't do it for free and just hands her the invoice. It's so good. So good. And it was just like, yes, that's like, you could see the rice smile. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to hope that this is the turnaround point 
that to be the, the beginning where Jessica's okay, you're my equal, you're just as good, you did this for me, and now you're going to charge me the same way I charged Dorothy to find Patsy. Mm-hmm. Like it's exactly. you don't get a friends and family discount anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there was a bit there, um, and it's nice to see that he has changed um, and he's evolved, which actually is brilliant because this is a nice segue into our case number two because mm-hmm. Malcolm is on the case, not just this one, he's on many. And the first is he's going to need to see a doctor himself, the case of the peeing blood. Well, yeah, yeah, this is um, this is the internal bleeding, we believe, that's happened after the car crash back in episode one when he took out the baseball player that was he was assigned to protect from any kind of lawsuits. Um, it's having its own effect on Malcolm. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a really interesting scene. Uh, I think you were looking at it with me, John. You were watching. The, you were watching it when we were watching the episode, and you were kind of going, "Ah, oh, no, it's just a bit of blood dropping off a cut in his side." Yeah. But he's definitely peeing blood. Yeah, right? he is. Yeah. yeah. And I'm telling you right now, if my partner was in the bathroom peeing blood and I knew it, I am certainly not saying let's have sex before I go to work. I would be absolutely sticking them a taxi and getting them to a doctor, or calling nine one one and getting an ambulance over there. <laughs> absolutely, it kind of went from being concerned to. I know, let's just go back to bed and, and uh, let's get active uh, a yeah. bit. I mean, I get that because, you know, in a sense, should um, a person like Malcolm with the Marvel abs that he has, should he really be ill ever? <laughs> or is he not just kind of perfect? Um, I have to say, I would have quite liked to have been the director there to set up that shoot from uh, <laughs> just below the toilet bowl, uh, pointing up, you know, set and shoot. Um, certainly... <laughs> Yes, I, I think not since um, Luke Cage's little two eggs uh, in, in, a, in a handkerchief have we uh, seen such a good little moment uh, <laughs> on the show. The one thing I have to borrow, because I was watching this with my partner, and mm-hmm. she, so basically Malcolm's girlfriend is coming in, wrapping her arms around him from behind while he's peeing mm-hmm. at, the, <laughs> at the toilet. I'm like... Look, I'm all for lovey-dovey romance, but that kind of is stepping. It's like, hey, honey, I know you're just basically urinating, but come here, I'm going to give you a hug and be all lovey. I'm like, no, back away. I'm peeing. Give me like two seconds and then I will hug you. I need to shake twice at least. But again, I do not care at all how hot your partner is. If that happens, if you find, if you happen to go into the bathroom after them and find there's blood left behind... Give them some time, give them some space, and send them off to the doctor, right? That's, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the simple rules. I don't care how, how hot they are at all, regardless. <laughs> but anyway, he it is discovered that he has internal bleeding, uh, or so he states. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do get a bit an- enamorous with each other. And then we get to the office, where basically we see Jerry being very Jerry. And it's like, hey, I've got it. your next case. Well, first of all, she does Jerry being Jerry picks up. That they are uh, now um, enjoying the, each other's company. Um, yes, and, they are an item there. Yeah, and yeah. As she does not give a, a, a hell as long as they sign the waiver, and that's cool because he actually he does say that he thinks this is something more than just a hookup, which is nice. Again, showing mm-hmm. a bit of growth in Malcolm. But yeah, yeah. we see his eyes do drop a bit when Jerry's like, "Look, investigate this guy," and she goes, "Who is he?" And she says, "I don't care. Just get it done. Find me the yeah. dirt." So yeah, he's, it's a possible business partner, I think, is how she sells yes. it to him to begin with. But yeah, later on, it's very much, he knows there's much more to this than a possible business partner, right? Yeah. And what we get then is that he, we get that Malcolm goes back to college. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, he he can pull it off. Unfortunately, he's still that that kind of the smooth skinned. It's like, all right, yeah, he gets in there. He he does the very TV PI quickly install through a USB. I will install spyware and hack the guy's <laughs> computer. All right, that's not quickly how it works, but sure, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> I think that scene is just trying to scare the people that don't put a bit of masking tape over their camera that's in their laptop, just to show you how bloody easy it is. And it is easy enough. It's not as easy as shown on on this particular TV show, but it is that easy to hack the camera that's on your laptop. If you're not doing that already, stick a piece of tape over your camera, right? It's a good idea for everybody to do, right? And this is Conspiracy Theories with Derek. Now, moving on back to our originally scheduled pro- programming. <laughs> <laughs> that one's definitely true. Um, this really did remind me a little bit of 21 Jump Street, the old 80s TV show. Um, I know it's been made into two movies now, so people do recognize that show now. But it did remind me of that. I like that it is um, Eka Darville trying to pretend to be a college student going back to college. He absolutely could have played it that he's a mature student going back to college. He doesn't. He never says that once. He just says he's in another course. So he is trying to play that he's about 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Can he get away with that? I think maybe just, or maybe he's a, a semi-mature student yeah. kind of thing. Um, I, I, I like Malcolm here doing his thing, this new fixer role, mm-hmm. um, an investigation role. But I like the fact that, as you said, Chris, you know, his eyes fall when Jerry asks him. And I mean, I think uh, this is the thing, you know, she then asks him to dig deeper. He thinks that it's kind of, you know, fixer by numbers in that he, um, you know, he, he's hacked into the, the laptop. He's He's got the camera feed. He spots um, the Kith's husband, Peter, um, having, you know, seemingly extramarital affair with a, a student. Mm-hmm. But actually, and I think this kind of brings into case note number three, yeah. is that it actually undermines Jerry's reason for doing this because case note number three, an open relationship. Mm. The fact is, is that for Kith, this is fine. Uh, she absolutely pulls the rug from Jerry's um, feet. Uh, Jerry's wanting to dig the dirt. And in the end, she's got to dig even deeper to get it because uh, both Kith and her husband Peter uh, are in this open relationship yeah. uh, to the point where we have um, this um, I keep I'm calling it sophisticated flirting or dare I say it, even super sophisticated flirting um, I think cello sex is it's the first time I've ever seen um, a, a classical stringed instrument um, are being used in this way. <laughs> uh, one quick thing I just wanted to mention about the Malcolm uh, Malcolm investigation, I suppose, is that not only does he find Peter having sex with somebody else, he calls it out because he's having sex with a student, which would make him lose his residency at the college. So that would affect his business, affect his work. And I think he's trying to point out that usually that's what Jerry wants. Jerry specifically said that Peter's a possible business relationship that she was going to get into, and he goes and finds something that would undermine his business. So he has done the investigation absolutely perfectly. Um, So it's not just that he finds him having sex with just a student, it's that he shouldn't be having sex with any students because it would ruin his business. So I I like that that he's done the job that well. He's not just found he's had, you know, he's, he's run out of a shop without paying. He's found something specifically to do with what Jerry was asking. And if Jerry had wanted something deeper, she should have asked him and he would have been able to do that, I think, is, is the point. Malcolm is really good at his job. 
But it's even that we do get the scene where he's he's in Peter's office and he's talking about legal ethics, mm-hmm. and it is very it's a telling scene. It, it's the the MacGuffin because that is the problem that Malcolm is having with exactly. the ethics of what he is doing. He yeah. is he is basically out there to get dirt to hold it over people. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to be the the good PI. He wants yeah, exactly. to do. I find the missing people. I solve the the crime. I the, and at the moment he is he is the dirt fixer for Jerry. Mm-hmm. Who, while it is all above board and legal, the ethics of what he is doing is becoming a problem for him. Absolutely. And that's when you can see his face drop when he brings that to Jerry. It's like, yeah, I got you your pay dirt. I got you the issue that you wanted. To the, I dig deep. And mm-hmm. because we have Kit and her husband, Peter, have an open relationship, and after the uh, coupling of Kit and Jerry, and they talk about, like, Peter's probably bleeping his log graduate, and uh, she doesn't care because Kit is with Jerry, and she's just had this. It's an open thing. It basically forces <laughs> Jerry to go, damn, I thought I had it with that. I need you to go deeper, mm-hmm. Malcolm. And Malcolm's like, no, like I got you the dirt. Any, I got you what you wanted. Going deeper now is going into that that ethical part where you are. You're making me the bad guy. Like you're making me a villain. Yeah, like he has that conversation with Maya, his his girlfriend, where he she's kind of saying you need to find something else. This is not good for you. And he says, I just want to do this for another year. When I do it for a year, then I'll be able to go out on my own. I'll be able to do my own thing. But yeah, you can tell it's kind of eating up at him. I do love this in our case note number three, this whole open relationship discussion that's going on. I really like this, this conversation between Jerry and Kith in the in the restaurant where Kith is trying to lead Jerry. Jerry starts out trying to do everything she possibly can to impress Kith. This whole conversation where they're talking about the food they're going to eat. Genuinely, I don't think I've ever hated Jerry more than when she recommends the kale sal- salad as being very filling and then orders lemon water as a drink <laughs> yeah, on this supposed date. It just sounds so on Jerry like, you know. We know how manipulative Jerry has been in the past, but we see that Kith kind of flips it on his head a little bit, tells her that she's that they're going to drink wine together because they haven't seen each other in 25 years and there's a lot of tough stuff to go over between the two of them. Jerry tells Kith that she has the sonata that she's composed for 25 years ago. She still has a copy of that on tape. She sets up this whole conversation where she's going to play this cassette tape for her. The cassette tape gets eaten. It feels like this real kind of meet-cute moment almost, or reunite-cute, I suppose you'd call it, between Kith and Jerry. And then you find out after Kith has played the cello for Jerry that this was also Kith's plan all along, was to show Jerry that she couldn't necessarily get her just because that's what she wanted. We hear the description that Kith has of her is she's just a woman that gets every single thing she wants. It's just she's going to make Jerry wait for it. And then when she does Kith, she goes, well, I'll never leave my husband. We have this open relationship because we've gone through so much. And hey, life's a long time to say that you're going to stay with a person and not have sex with anybody else. And I'm allowed to. But the reason you couldn't get me into bed for this long in our conversations and having to meet up three times or four times is because I didn't want you to sleep with you until I had worked on you myself kind of thing which I really like and and again it shows the devious nature of Jerry because Jerry knows this isn't enough for her she wants more she wants Kith all to herself which is just that horrible thing when you feel sorry for Jerry at all about her having ALS and and going to be dead within six months or a year or six years or whatever it's going to be suddenly you get this moment where Jerry is really evil when she doesn't get what she wants. 
Well, absolutely. I, I, th- I think here, I mean, the interesting thing about it is that Jerry hasn't even told Kith that she has ALS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's that awkward reminiscence. Um, and I think you're right. It, it's yeah, that yeah. setup where Kith is, you're the person that has everything, that got everything. I think there is that purposeful reason that Kith goes, so you got me, but you didn't get me as well. Yeah. And you don't have me because we have this open relationship. And yes, Jerry then um, is smitten because she's competitive. Mm-hmm. This is all about the win. It's like she's in court and she has to now beat Kith. And the only way she can do that is to get Malcolm to dig deeper mm-hmm. and get more and more dirt on uh, Kith's husband. Oh, God, and you, so I yeah. think this is, yeah, it does. It absolutely shows the ruthlessness of mm. Jerry and probably why she's a massively successful lawyer. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like, when does she switch off? And I think it's kind of quite nice with the the interaction that she has with Jessica Jones a bit later on, where, you know, she she says how she, she gets up, she grabs her shower, she takes her pills, and, and even though she's alone... Uh, and weak she goes in and does her job and gives this outward face so even though she should be maybe having a significant life-changing moment as to you know an outlook on life Mm -hmm. she is sort of hunkering down in what she's always known and always done which is to be this ruthless jerry and it makes her come across really really heartless but I, i have to say this is the thing i absolutely love about this season of Jessica Jones so far is these one-on-one exchanges that you get, whether it's Jerry and Jessica, whether it's Jerry and Kith, whether it's Jerry and Malcolm, Trish and Jessica, you name it. Like they've been absolutely excellent. I really feel like you've learned so much about these characters um, in this season from these great one-on-one exchanges. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, before we go on to the next case note, I, I just want to kind of bring on something I'm noticing now that we're about three hours in, which is Jessica's no longer the broken one. Mm. Remember, if we think about like, Jessica's always been the very broken one, and around her has been these, uh, the, the good people. She is the, the bad, the, the one with the powers who's willing to do the bad, mm-hmm. and basically the broken. And around her have been the people who... We're doing good for their own reasons. Jerry's always been a bit Jerry, <laughs> but she was never this yeah. bad. But now what we're seeing to a degree, and like say Trish, Trish was Trish always just wanted to do the right thing, but Trish is now doing sometimes questionable things for the what she believes is the right mm-hmm. thing. So what we're seeing is basically Jessica's becoming the rock to the fractured mm-hmm. others who she now needs to kind of help and kind of bring in and control and help them, where before they were her rocks. Now she is the rock. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I think I mentioned after watching this episode, it really feels like, you know, back in season one where everybody was there to support Jessica Jones. That's what their whole job, their whole function was. Why we meet Jerry and why we meet Malcolm and why we meet Trish is because their focus was to support Jessica Jones in her day-to-day. Now it's every single one of them has learned what they need to from Jessica. 
and they're they're all doing their own thing. They're all doing their version of what Jessica used to do. Malcolm going to college is the same as Jessica pretending to be Mallory and calling around all of these art galleries uh, on behalf of Jerry Hogarth. It's exactly the same thing. That's what he's learned from her. Trish going around and using her skills to try and get into these art galleries is her doing her version of yeah. Jessica. You know, they've all learned these different things over the years. So we're kind of getting a bit of a throwback to the first season of Jessica Jones. And it does feel like that coming full circle. It feels like these are all of these characters with a lot a lot of changes having learnt off each other. Um, which does yeah. bring us on to our case note number four. It does bring us on to Jessica and Trish butting heads. These two that have now both got powers and both got the same target are now going to investigate side by side effectively, but not together. This feels like if this was done 10 years ago, 50 years ago, this would be your Marvel team-up episode, right? It's the beginning of. It's the, it's the part one before they actually... So do you remember it was like when the Incredible Hulk and Daredevil met in the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s show? And they the first episode, they were all like butting heads. And then they were suddenly, oh, we're doing the same thing. And then in the second part. So we're about to get to the second part now. I, see, I don't know. I feel, like it's, I feel it. like it's flipped on its head, though. I think it's the other way around. Because these two were best friends. You know, they knew each other. And, and now Trish were, has got her powers. So were. it feels like it's flipped on its head where they're not actually working together, but they are. You could have the cover of this episode called Marvel Team Up, where they're not actually teamed up, but they reach the same results, I suppose, and end off, as you said, John, in your synopsis, it ends off with Jessica giving the collar to Hellcat, but both of them didn't actually work together throughout the episode. For, for me, it's, you said, it's the, the at the end of this episode, the olive branch is given. Mm-hmm. But up at this point, we're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. Because this is what the, the fun thing is. They continuously butt heads throughout mm-hmm. this. And... Like, we see Jessica going, well, first of all, she goes through Brand's apartment, mm-hmm. right? And what really annoyed me is, now we know later why, but she goes right through the kitchen and there's a set of knives yeah. and a, a chopping block on the counter. She doesn't mm-hmm. even look at it. And I'm like, oh, they should have at least showed her looking <laughs> at that because it was just a conspicuous yeah. looking knives. And the camera panned. I In my head, the camera was... L- stayed on it slightly too long but obviously this is just me imagining stuff (laughs) um but she does find a printout with brand's list of all the places he's trying to sell the statue Mm -hmm. and but then we see jet trish comes in and this is where they first butt heads for the first time yeah really interesting one here isn't it i love that trish effectively her first conversation with jessica is i'm really impressed and Jessica goes, yeah, I know, I've got years of experience. And Trish is like, yes, I know, I said I was impressed. It's <laughs> you know? kind of good at the moment. I was kind of really taken aback, actually, by Trish here at uh, Andrew Brandt's apartment. You know, it's kind of like a turf war, isn't it, really? Trish mm-hmm. thinks that this is what she should be doing. You know, she's the one that kind of started this investigation. The only reason Jessica is there is because... She was investigating Trish. You know, she should be the one to bring him in. Um, and effectively, Jessica has screwed up her investigation. Uh, and I, I like that they developed this turf war. And I, But I think there's some really shocking moments here. Jessica kind of responds to Trish going, uh, I've been a hero all my life. And mm-hmm. Trish just comes back at her and says, no, you've been super. Uh, there's a difference to being a hero. Um, and, you know, she questions, you know, have you ever trained in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I've had to do. And then, you know, it comes to the point where she's following Jessica. Jessica realizes that, but she passes out because of the issue with her spleen. But we have Trish, yes, calling for an ambulance. 
but is prepared to go through uh, Jessica's uh, pockets yep. in order to get the lead that she found in the apartment. And then you have Jessica after uh, going to the auction house to find this Cataldo statue, seeing Trish there, confronting her again. So it's kind of this ramping up, but but hitting her, knocking her out, mm-hmm. um, to, to take back the phone in order to find um, where Andrew is so then she can finish off what she needs to do or what she thinks she needs to do at that moment. So, like, this really ramps up. I mean, you know, you have them really trying to undermine one another um, and then seeing Jessica kind of just, you know, swipe uh, at Trish as well. It's really shocking for these two people that were like best of friends. Um, And and that's why I think it is quite nice at the end where um, you kind of get this olive branch uh, and you have this handing over of the investigation Mm -hmm. once Jessica realizes that Andrew Brandt didn't really have anyone to hire um, because they wouldn't go after supers. um, And he wasn't involved in this uh, at all. So Trish is able to deliver Andrew Brandt uh, to to Costa, all kind of bound and gagged. So it it ultimately ends up in a happy place. But Mm. my goodness, it like does have some real unhappy places that these two go to Absolutely. these longtime friends. And um, so I, I thought this was really nice actually just having that sort of flow through this episode and um, whether they are actually going to be friends in the next episode is another matter entirely, but well, at least there's that there's those few steps towards them being friends again. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it interesting? It feels like Trish is doing exactly what Jessica would do. She, she does secure an ambulance for Jessica calling nine one one on the phone before she goes through her pockets. That does feel like something Jessica would have done in season one and season two, doesn't it? She'd still go through the pockets if she needed that piece of information. Um, but also, it really feels like if these two had been working together from the start, Jessica wouldn't have needed Jerry to come into her place and hand this stuff to her, hand all this information to her that she gives. She would have been able to get that information using Trish to do the airheaded celebrity persona that she puts on saying, oh, I'm just developing my my knowledge in art. I've checked out five galleries and they haven't shown me anything <laughs> I want. You know, this whole persona that she puts on to do her investigation. But they both do the exact same investigation yeah. side by side when they could have worked together and probably gotten their 10 times quicker, you know? Um, I really like that. You know, I don't know whether they're friends, as you say, but I wonder whether Jessica has learned maybe I shouldn't interfere in what Trish is investigating. This might not necessarily have anything to do with me at all. Maybe I should listen to Trish when she says this is her investigation because it didn't have anything to do with Jessica, you know? Yeah. But you can you can see where Jessica thought it would because even Trish went, he recognised who you were. Mm. But Costa did ask that question when he visited Jessica in the hospital. How many people would want to kill you that are on your client list. And Jessica said, it's a long list of people, (laughs) you know? So she particularly made this thing stand out purely in her own head because she was working side by side side with Trish at the time. And she tried to pull away this investigation from Trish because really she doesn't want Trish investigating anything. She doesn't want Trish as a super. She wants everybody who's a superhero to be the same as her and whine about it, basically. She doesn't want someone to be really happy with their superpowers and going out and taking the jobs that Jessica should be doing in her local area even though she doesn't want to. You know, it's this whole thing that's inside Jessica's head. Um, but it is a really interesting one. There is some great scenes in here. As I said, I love that moment with the airheaded celebrity version of uh, of Trish. And I love that she does that backflip 
to get herself back on the couch before the guy comes back out with her champagne while she's doing the investigation. I think yeah, that's, that's good. That's really cool. I love that scene when she's on the shopping network and told that she's bettered the highest selling product ever on their <laughs> network with 140,000 sweater vests. <laughs> and you can just see that dead eyed look that Trish gives the camera going, oh, is this my life right now? <laughs> It's her Bruce Wayne to her Batman. Yes, yeah, but it's absolutely. just that reaction from when her co-host says to her, you're absolutely made for this. This is going to be the best job you've ever had. And Trish just going, oh my God, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> just Trish's reaction to that, I love. It just feels like her whole life is just dying behind her eyes. Really, really cool. And just one last one that's in these scenes here is that conversation between Jerry and Jessica where Jerry's empathizing with Jessica. You don't get that very often from Jerry, but kind of empathizing that both of them are now effectively taking so many tablets to keep themselves going um and you see a little crack in jessica's exterior the tough exterior that she put up for everybody when you realize that she's actually been looking for treatments for als she's been using all of her connections to find things that could possibly keep jerry alive so jessica does sympathize with her despite calling out that she's just on a path to death yeah very like one line beforehand she effectively says to her that i'm looking out for things and treatments that could possibly benefit Jerry. You know, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I love this interaction between Jerry and Jessica. As, as I said, I think it's really, really excellent. Um, and it, it's one of the things I've enjoyed and taken out of this season mm-hmm. so far are these one-on-one exchanges. You know, it's that pep talk that actually is really deep and meaningful, but uh, has a lot of um, sarcasm and wit assigned to one mm-hmm. another uh, because of the the characters of jerry and uh and jessica that they're not going to let each other rest on some kind of um pamphlet ridden morality um, they, they, despite enjoy the, the journey talk, not the inevitable end exa- exactly um you know that they're, they're gonna challenge it but at the end of the day um they kind of help one another and, and i think that's typified with jessica saying you know us invalids should stick together at uh-huh. the end of it um so i really enjoyed this um i i thought you know in, in my weird way um this was kind of heartwarming really yeah that's heartwarming you're going to get from a character from like Jerry, Jerry and Jessica. Jessica. Exactly. Yeah. Well, even Jessica going, I'm sorry. I'm well, yeah. Like that line alone was yeah. just seeing Jessica going, oh, yeah, I know. I'm being, I'm being, I'm, I'm not being fair here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the one thing I, 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 I am questioning, right, is we know that, we know that she has some regenerative abilities, Jessica. Mm. Can she regrow her spleen? Probably not. I think the doctor says to her that if she was anybody else, she'd be dead from the injuries. Dead, yeah. At this stage, she would have bled out and she would have died. Um, I don't. I don't know whether she's regenerative. Regenerative. I think she's more. Um, she's just super in the fact that she doesn't die from this because she's a bit more, a bit stronger. Maybe uh, you know she can she can put up with with the pain longer. Maybe yeah. or. Uh, something like that, but I don't think she can possibly regenerate. I think that's much more of an X-Men thing for, for the most part. We, but you don't know. These things aren't explained because she never got a manual when she became a superhero and she never tested. Yeah. That's the thing that is underlined by Trish. She never did that year of working out to develop her abilities and find out exactly what she can do. And that's why we've always had these questions over Jessica as to what her abilities are because she never wanted to know. She just knows she pushes someone and it's like a mass a massive punch to the person and they fly across the room you know that's kind of all she knows she knows she can't run fast because 
she never runs fast. She just jumps far. That's kind of it, you know. Um, but but we we always have these questions over Jessica because she's never put it to the test. I suppose is, yeah. is the way the way it seems to be. Uh, one final thing on this conversation between Jerry and Jessica: that pamphlet or or leafless uh, piece of logic that Jerry has, seems to be living her life by now. This idea of I'm going to enjoy the journey and not the inevitable end. That really calls into question that conversation that she's having or that plan she has with Kith where she's going to investigate her husband and hopefully make Kith split up with her husband, even though Jerry has a terminal disease that could kill her in a few weeks' time. Effectively, she's going to break up a partnership that's lasted for over 25 years just to get what she wants when she could be dead in a few months' time. That is absolutely awful once again from Jerry, and it shows that she's using this pamphlet psychology to justify something far more wicked than most people would use that kind of psychology to get them through the day yeah you you hear a lot of people say that if you've got a terminal disease enjoy your life because everybody's going to die no matter what you just happen to have a slightly earlier stamp on your card than other people do so enjoy your life whereas jerry's going well i better go out there and break up this marriage with this woman that i really want before i die right <laughs> which is awful yeah it, it's kind of i think kith seems to be the one that got away for jerry even though kith does say you're the person that has everything and mm-hmm. got everything you ever wanted and cheated on her um, and yeah. you you get this sense from jerry you know uh, the way she speaks to kith that maybe that's her one regret and she mm-hmm. wants to make that right before she goes something along those lines yeah. but in her own absolute um way she will do anything to make that happen, mm-hmm. even if that causes the person she professes to care about and want to uh, be involved with and to cause her misery. Absolutely. And then, to be honest, and that comes back to Wendy. As Jerry says, it destroys Wendy. Um, and Kith has to say, well, I'm not broken by that. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed. I have a different outlook or, or whatever. So maybe jerry is trying to break her i don't know (laughs) it's just it's just a um it's it's a little disturbing that jerry is that hell-bent that determined you know um Mm -hmm. but i suppose speaking of um determined uh case note number five we have uh what have you done eric Mm -hmm. yeah we seem to have a persistent eric here we have eric arrive twice in this episode Mm -hmm. back to um, Jessica's door. Initially, think we think here that he's asking, "How are you? Are you all right? Um, do you want me to cook that burger?" Kind of wanting to pick up where he he left off. Yeah. Um, but we have this great moment, this kind of nice little cliffhanger at the end, where uh, these flashbacks that Jessica has had of her struggling down the hallway, seeing the killer, you know, stab her, see the killer's reaction. All of this um, starts to coalesce around Andrew Brandt after she realizes he had no involvement in this mm-hmm. around uh, Eric ultimately and, and that um, this killer was after Eric, not her, and, and was completely surprised uh, by the fact uh, of who he stabbed ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we talked about that that PTSD, that type of... Well, what I be- you believe to be PTSD throughout the episode. Yeah. 
but then Jessica starting to turn it to use it as her detective mode, mm-hmm. if you will. Exactly. Uh, um, essentially calling in the Batman fans there, mm-hmm. uh, the video game fans, I should say. <laughs> Similar to Misty Knight back in the back in Luke Cage, that little detective exactly. mode that she used to do, yeah. Yeah, and seeing that she understands that it was actually about Eric. Mm-hmm. It was all, that was what it was. Um, and it, it was interesting because when Jess makes that call, at first point, I thought they were going to cut it there, and you're like, "Who'd she call? Right. Was it Trish? <laughs> well, who? Who? Is it a booty call? Is it something uh-huh. else? No." And then we we do get Eric, and I'm like, "Okay, so where is this going?" Mm-hmm. And then we start to see, well, literally, she invites him in, and then straight away the hand goes up, and now I'm. It's that beautiful Netflix cliffhanger that we've talked about for <laughs> well over two hundred and. 25 episodes mm-hmm. where they do this and you're like oh i oh i want to know now mm-hmm. i need to know is jess completely off the money or is she actually right what because it does look like the killer was reaching up and then goes oh i thought she the killer th- or the the stabber if you will mm-hmm. stab jess thinking it was eric it's a lovely way it's cut together, isn't it? Because she sees her own arm, arm on the side of the door, notices she's wearing a black jacket, notices that he was wearing a black jacket on the night in question as well. So she realizes that the guy stabbed her so quickly he didn't have a chance to even see her face. It's a lovely little touch there. But I love this. This is such a trope of detective shows where something happens and it calls into question everything that's happened beforehand. Was Eric in the bar in the first place? Because he knew it was Jessica Jones, was he there in the first place to get protection from Jessica Jones? Is the reason he called over to her house and texted her to let him in because someone was chasing him again? Is he just using Jessica to protect him because she's super? You know, I love this idea that suddenly you're going, this guy in the first episode where you're going, oh, that's really cute. She's got found a new guy. You know, they're going to have sex. This is a, a new relationship starting off oh, hang on a second, maybe he has an ulterior motive and has had all the way through. He may not be the villain, as I might have suggested in the first episode, but there's definitely something odd about him. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there is something odd. <clears throat> and I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to use the word super, but there's something. Right. Like, it's just, he. remember we were like the, ty- the Typhoid Mary-esque? Mm-hmm. Uh, from season one. The neighbor from upstairs, it's yeah. just The neighbor from upstairs. Mm-hmm. There's something just not right. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's... I don't think it's villain, but I think there's something more. Actually, to give the best example, I actually do think this is... Uh, it. I get the feeling of Mary from Iron Fist season two. Right. Where... There was something sweet, but something not right. 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 It's, I don't know. Call it my spidey sense of tingling. There's just something more to this character. I don't think it was just he's a plain Joe mm-hmm. uh, who there's, yes, there's something here. I don't know. I, it's just, yeah. I kind of like the idea. I know we mentioned it earlier on back in uh, in episode two and episode one that Jessica is now the hero for hire. That's her job, effectively. But Eric is trying to use her as his bodyguard because he knows she's super. I kind of like the idea that maybe he is just a bloke being chased down for whatever it is that he did. And he's using Jessica Jones as a bodyguard. Yeah. You know, I kind of like yeah, that. Absolutely. Possibly. Like- um, I'm going to hop in quickly into notes. Don't have much notes for this episode at all. But this is reminiscent to me of... Uh, a re- the recent Elliot's uh, run, this recent Jessica Jones run, uh, where Jessica comes back to her apartment and finds somebody in her apartment who's been murdered and thinks the person was 
killed because they were trying to get at Jessica and she enters a whole investigation thinking that that reason the person was killed was because they were after her when actually it turns out the character was killed just happened to be in Jessica's apartment so um, I kind of think that's partly what they're taking from here the idea of Eric being the one being chased after and Jessica thinking she's the victim as opposed to uh, just being in the way, I suppose. So uh, a, little, a little bit of a note for this episode. Without trying to spoil the comics, because you're definitely going to want to read those if you're enjoying this season of Jessica Jones. Yeah, we have a, dare I say, a whiskey and water watch. It's the same brand, the the bourbon whiskey from episode one, mm-hmm. being used to wash down those pills. Uh, not recommended uh, for everyone. Uh-huh. Um, and also there is a bottle of Jameson's as well um, at Brant's Man Cave <laughs> with, with all the cars. So uh, we, we have those... Uh, two bits of whiskey there. Mm-hmm. It's not a man cave, John. It would have been much worse for him if it was a man cave. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. It looked pretty manly to me. With Anyway, uh, one other note that I do have is that we do have a nice little moment with Costa as well. Um, I, I, a bit of flattery from him where he goes, your better qualities deserve to be uh, respected. Um, it's not a lot, but it's a little bit of flattery, a little <laughs> bit of respect there from Costa. Uh-huh. I do kind of like that. Uh, I like that underneath his kind of, you know, tough exterior, it, it is some respect for the qualities of Jessica Jones. Mm. However, maybe um, particular they are. So I just wanted to highlight that as well. <laughs> no major notes from me. The only one I was looking up was the list of people that uh, that Trish took a photograph of. And after checking out about five or six of them, there was nobody there from the comic books. In fact, there was actually one person, but from one of the romantic comics from 1963. So I don't think it had any connection. And I suddenly had in my head those wonderful production designers for all of these shows who actually have to look up the hundreds of thousands of characters that have been used over the years in Marvel and go, let's make sure none of these are used in case it could actually be um, a villain that's in another show so we don't want to spoil anything or create an easter egg that isn't actually an easter egg so um i think there's a, a character with the surname akoya in there and uh, i don't think that's an intentional connection to akoya from from black panther but uh, i want to give a little prop to the designers for the show that have to go through these lists write up a list of names and make sure there is no connection to marvel at all <laughs> um and on that note gentlemen i think is a time we lose our spleens and we leave the spleenless Jessica um, and decide whether we defend a spleenless Jessica. So, John, do you defend Season 3, Episode 3, a.k.a. I Have No Spleen? Oh, I do defend this episode. I give this four and a half martinis before I talk about acrylic on muslin out <laughs> of five. Um, nice. I really like this. I like the whole vibe. Uh, I think, Derek, you've probably put it really nicely that you you see our main protagonists here doing everything that they would have done together in season one except it's kind of at odds with one another and mm-hmm. um, there's a slight bit of tension and awkwardness in the air between all of them because they're all doing it separately but they're kind of getting to the same output I like that there's a bit of doubt that they're unsure of what they're doing in some cases, uh, but absolutely there's some bravado as well. Like certainly from Trish, um, I, I thought the, the the sort of angry coming together of Trish and Jessica uh, was really good. And I think above all, um, 
I'm really enjoying some of these um, exchanges that uh, are happening between these characters uh, that um, I'm really enjoying following. Um, Trish and Jessica in particular in this episode for one, but also Jess and Jerry as well. I I really liked it. And I kind of like that Malcolm is um, really kind of feeling a bit conflicted as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, definitely defend uh, this episode of Jessica Jones. I, I really like the little cliffhanger at the end as well with Eric uh, and Jessica. I can't wait to see what happens in episode four. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Yep, absolutely defend this episode. Favorite episode this season so far, and it's been a really good season so far. Every one of the episodes I've really enjoyed, but already three episodes in, it really feels like season one of Jessica Jones, which is still my absolute favorite of all of the Defender shows. So, I really hope, please, please, please give me a full season like this. Don't make me regret defending the first three episodes of this show and just go into nothingness as it goes on. Just having every character have their own moments and feel like their own developed characters has been just so good in this episode. And lots of hilarity. And one of my favourite new characters on TV this year, Gillian, the receptionist for Jessica, is magnificent. Keep giving her lines, keep giving her moments in each episode of these shows. She's great. Chris, do you defend season three, episode three of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. I have no spleen? I do, and I have a spleen, and I still do. <laughs> um, I, I'm with you on this. This is I, I'm enjoying each episode more and more. I'm liking the old school detective noir Jessica Jones season one approach here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's keeping me very well entertained like i can i can say my partner really is not enjoying the pacing Mm -hmm. um but i think it's because uh some of the other shows are a lot more Mm fast-paced and this one is deliberately turning it towards a 60 style detective type kind of uh, slow dawdling type approach because they want you to like it's old school detective Mm -hmm. jessica so but I'm with you. I'm like, I the pacing for me is perfect right now. It, it's really good. It keeps getting better. But please don't make me regret saying this <laughs> in another four to five episodes. Yeah. I wonder if Jessica Jones might suffer a little bit in comparison to 11 seasons of Marvel Defenders as opposed to just three seasons of Jessica Jones. Um, you know, when I, when I went back and looked at season two of Jessica Jones, I noticed there were pacing issues in comparison to season one of Jessica Jones, even. Uh, whereas this season seems, comparatively to those two seasons, it seems like Jessica Jones is back on form. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from right now. Whereas if you do compare it to something like The Punisher, where there's a huge big action set piece every single episode, it's certainly not that show. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. So uh, right now I fully defend it, um, and I defend where we have been to so far. It's just going to be where it goes from here. Mm-hmm. Let's see uh, in the next episode. So there you go, fellow defenders. All three of us defend it. So let's move on to some feedback. We have a voicemail through on our website at Defenders TV Podcast from one and only Ryan. Hey guys, it's Ryan here. Good to hear your voices again for another Jessica Jones season review. Um, This is my quick review of episode one, season three. Um, I cannot agree with you guys more with what you've said with regards to this episode, I love the pacing of it. I love the fact that this Jessica Jones, and I, I must say, and I, I think you've said it in the past, all the Jessica Jones series, they feel so far away from the other Marvel Netflix stuff. But then 
can drag themselves right back into it whenever they need to. Um, personally, I really like this and I can see in the future it's going to get stick from people. But me, I don't care. I enjoyed this. I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it was really going back to reminding me of season one and the Jessica Jones detective side of it and good to see all the characters back again. And it was only season one. So, uh, sorry, episode one. But let's see. We've got 12 more episodes to go and yeah, it's sad times because this is the last one we're getting through the Netflix Marvel connection. But we've had a good little run and let's enjoy it. Well, we'll give our review at the end of it. But guys, thanks a lot for your review so far and speak to you soon. Thanks so much for that feedback, Ryan. I think you're absolutely right, as we've mentioned here and as we mentioned back on episode one. Uh, this show does seem to have that pacing, that Jessica Jones pacing. And it does feel like something far apart from the other Defender shows. Yeah, great to hear from you. Hopefully we'll hear from you for the rest of the episodes for this season. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan, for the feedback there. Really good to hear your thoughts. Charles, Ryan, thank you very much. But we also have some feedback for episode two over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV podcast. First up, we have some feedback from Bob Phillips. I really like the pacing of this so far. To have an entire episode dedicated to the story so far as Trish, as she branches out in new and interesting ways, was fantastic. She might have a tiny bit of superpowers, but what she mostly has is enormous effort and dedication and training. Telly Sales as a cover story for her heroic activity is just the sort of fall from grace that fits the arc of this character. Oh, harsh. <laughs> and if this had been in season one, do you think we would have see- had an entire scene played out between Trish and her gym instructor on the map rather than the perfectly PG version we had in this episode? Well, I don't know about that, but what do you guys think? Would we have got a more X-rated version of uh, Trish and her instructor? I, I, I think uh, season one may have been a little bit more risque. I mean, certainly, I think in this episode, we certainly get a little bit more risque with um, with Malcolm. Uh, and certainly, there d- doesn't seem to be any um, sort of shying away with Malcolm and, and his girlfriend. So A little bit, a little bit. But yeah, definitely much more in season one. It felt like season one was going much more for the R-rated or 16s and over. And this is still in the level of PG to to 14s I think in this episode show off a good bit of Marvel abs but don't go any further than that absolutely but yeah thank you so much Bob for for those thoughts I I also really like the telly sales uh, cover story for Trish Uh I I think her winks and nods and smiles and and laughs at the right moment I think it's nailed really really nicely Mm -hmm. here Um, so yeah really enjoying that as well yeah and I agree Bob this idea that she has a little bit of superpowers but it is all in the training and all in the effort that she's putting into it I think that's uh, that is what you're supposed to be taking out of, of, of Trish here in this season. Very cool. Yeah. Also on episode two, Doug Green says, was I the only one who thought this episode was slow, especially the part where Trish was tailing the guy? Um, I think in some ways, I think that was deliberate. That's mm-hmm. how I was kind of taking it, Doug. Um, just in the sense that, you know, all this stuff that um, Jessica has to do, yeah. probably the reason why she takes a bottle of bourbon with her on, on a stakeout. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like it's kind of one of the sort of negatives of being a PI is that uh, an investigator is that there's a lot of grunt work that's required uh, from stakeouts to, you know, watching other people enjoy themselves over a dinner only to see then that actually the, the, the dark side of that. Um, but uh, I mean, for me, I think I've said it um, quite a lot. I, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the pacing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Thanks so much for that, Doug. Uh, Ray from It's the Night, the Moon Nice podcast. Guys, that podcast got to 100 episodes last week. Congratulations, Ray and Connor and Rebecca. Uh, we did send a message to you guys. I know you played it on your episode, but congratulations for getting to 100 episodes. Yeah, good, uh, good stuff, guys. And fellow defenders, if you've not listened to them and want to know more about the only one and only Moon Knight, check them out. It's a great podcast. Absolutely. But Ray says about episode two of uh, of Jessica Jones, he says, um, I like how they're getting straight into another character's story in episode two. It changes the pace of the season a bit and great to establish Hellcat with a good 11 episodes to come. Also, I could see it a mile away that they were going to get the Hellcat suit in Trisha's trip to costume shop. But I smiled and thought, hell yeah, when it happens. Yeah, totally agree. Great moment there with Trish finally picking out that costume and going that's not for me <laughs> yeah definitely thanks so much Ray and thanks everybody for your feedback on the episode you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com with your thoughts on any of the episodes we are putting up spoiler posts on our Facebook group as always over at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast and you can leave any of your comments in there if you want to discuss any of the episodes as we go don't forget you can also subscribe at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or why not head over to the one and only tvpodcastindustries.com where you can get all of our podcasts across all the spectrum of what we record on on any drunk or sober podcast player. We will be back very soon with our review of Jessica Jones Season 3 Episode 4 aka Customer Service is standing by this week. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. We'll talk to you again soon. Yes, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure, as always, to speak with you. Uh, I'm off to set up a Barack Fug analysis course for millennials, uh, but once I've done that, I'll be back to speak with you again soon. (laughs) Chris, would you sign up? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Excellent stuff. Bye. Bye. Episode 3, a.k.a. I Have No Spleen. Can you give me a.k.a. I Have No Spleen again? A.k.a. I Have No Spleen. Just wanted to hear you say it twice. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of glacial analysis, because you've just slowed this podcast to uh, icy finish, Mm -hmm. let's move on and warm it up again with John. Do you want to give us your actual synopsis? Yes, I will. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Say that again, Chris, I think. I think yeah. I, yeah. Speaking of glacial analysis, John, you have slowed this podcast down with your <laughs> puns. So picking it back up and adding a bit of global warming, do you want to give us the heartfelt warmth that is your synopsis of every episode? Sure. Or just this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just go from do you want to. Do you want to give us your heartfelt warming synopsis of this episode? Sure. As they both pursue Brant, their paths cross and their relationship fares no better as they continue to butt heads. Uh, mean... <laughs> right, Beavis. That's butthead, I... obviously. <laughs> He got him fully with that one. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 Oh, no.
broken, John. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being funny for the first time in 403 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. It already took that long. <laughs> this is a glacial uh, epoch-defining moment. There you go. Global warming. It gives you a, a, der- a Derek ah. that's funny. <laughs> um, enjoying the, each other's company. Um, yes, and, they're an item there. Yeah, and yeah. as she does not give a, a, a hell as long as they sign <laughs> the waiver. That is the best way. I love Chris trying to make up non-curse words. He doesn't. She doesn't give a hell. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't give that a sweet damn yes please don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the love by sharing the podcast share the... Blah, 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 blah. that was right Chris yeah, but okay, it, sounded a, it sounded a little pigs and spacey <laughs> pigs in space actually not pigs and spacey I think you get arrested for that nowadays <laughs>